you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of John. The book of John. I know that we have been uh, studying diligently in 1 Peter, but with the circumstances and the timing of when Jeff asked, I wanted to preach on a verse that has been helpful and encouraging to me during these trying times. The interesting thing about this verse, though, is that it's often debated theologically. But my goal this morning is not necessarily to get into those issues. My goal is to present this verse devotionally. And what can it minister to us from these words? So John chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. If you have a Bible or a device, please open it up to there. I've entitled the message this morning, Christ's Assurance to Us. And yes, it is just going to be one verse. I grew up going to church potlucks, and I realized when there's kids involved with food, uh, anxiously awaiting for afterwards, I know to keep it short, so have no fears. Uh, I will deliver that for you. Christ's assurance to us. What does Jesus Christ assure us of in the pages of Scripture? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Well, many things for sure. He assures us of his love and his care for us. He assures us of his desire to be with us. He assures us that his blood cleanses us from all of our sins. He even assures us that one day he will return and judge all of humanity in finality. And the list goes on. He assures us of many things, but he also assures us of something else I want to look at this morning, something that has been immensely encouraging to me in my moments of despair, in moments where I feel like I don't measure up, in those times where I feel forgotten by God, or even that somehow my sin has distanced me from him. It's in those moments that I remember this verse. John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. I'm going to read it once more. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this great day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. I pray simply that your spirit would apply this verse to our hearts, both individually and corporately, and may you be glorified from it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. These have been somewhat tiring, maybe even trying times for all of us. Epidemics, injustices, they say, riots, misunderstandings, deaths, hate towards one another. It weighs on the soul. But there's so much in this single verse that helps the weary Christian to feel encouraged and consoled. So much that affirms to us the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. There are three statements from the verse that I want to look at this morning that give us a better picture of that assurance. And this is by no means exhaustive. In fact, I would encourage you this very week to meditate and to think on this verse, to see how God through his spirit would apply it to your own own heart. But three statements we're going to look at. I'm going to give them to you up front. The first is everyone. The second is the Father gives. And the third is I will never cast out. The first is everyone. Jesus in this verse puts to rest any notion that our salvation is only dependent upon us. In chapter 6, if you read chapter 6 in John, he had just fed the 5,000, most likely closer to 10,000. He had given them bread to eat and fish to eat. And then some of them, as he travels across the Sea of Galilee, some of them follow him, get this, because they're still hungry. They want some more bread the next day. And so they ask for a sign. He says, even if I gave you a sign, you still would not believe. 
And so they come to him and they say, but even God in the wilderness to our ancestors gave them, the Israelites, manna every single day. So could you give us some more bread? And Jesus tells them that this sign that you're seeking will not do what you're hoping they will do. He's basically saying, don't keep seeking that which is temporal, rather seek that which is eternal. Seek the bread of life that will fill you up forever. Seek me, he's saying. But then he says in verse 36, but as I have told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. Think on that for a moment. They have seen Jesus, the very son of God, do miracle after miracle, and they just want more. They still don't believe. Their hearts are hardened. And it's in the midst of this discussion that Jesus says, even in light of rampant unbelief, everyone the Father gives me comes to me. He says everyone. And that's the word I want us to think on for a moment. Some translations you might be reading would use the word all. They're meaning the same thing here. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say most. He says all. Everyone. It's not most that the Father gives to me will come to me. It's not some that the Father gives to me will come to me. It is every single one, all. And so if you're a Christian here today, you are a part of that all. You have been given by the Father to the Son, two things that work together in an amazing way, him giving us to Jesus and us coming to Jesus. And this everyone, though, as we think on that word, implies that you are known. You cannot be counted amongst a number unless you are known. You cannot be included as a gift from the Father to the Son unless you are known. You individually, as a person, are known. You're known by the infinite God of the universe. That humbles us. You matter. Your life matters. And what you do with your life after coming to know Christ matters tremendously. And this everyone, though, is what it matters here in this verse, that you are a part of God's family. Once the father sets his loving gaze on a wandering sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Everyone, the text says, we are a part of the family of God. We are counted among them. This word now describes you. So be encouraged by that this morning if you know Jesus. So that's the first statement we wanted to look at. But secondly, the Father gives. The Father gives. What is so special about this group, this everyone, this all? What is so special is that the Father has gifted, gifted us to the Son. You are a prized possession, a gift of such great value that the Father would send His Son to die for you. Even the next verse, verse 38, Jesus says, He has come only to do the will of His Father. And so what was that will? It was to rescue and redeem a chosen people, his people. That's us. So our redemption is not to just be seen as Jesus trying to calm down an angry God the Father or trying to placate him. It's not uh, Jesus being gracious on one hand and God being judgmental on the other. No, in the triune Godhead, they have a single unity. They have loved sinners so much that they have planned, purposed, and accomplished their redemption. That's good news. It's the Sunday school verse that many of us memorized from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved that he gave the Son to us. But the same here is true in John chapter 6, verse 37. For God so loved that he gave us to the Son. 
The Father has graciously given you to Jesus so that we might be reconciled to him and know him and enjoy him forevermore. He gives us to the Son. There was not a haggling over us that took place. There was not a reluctance for us to be given. The Father's deepest delight is to freely entrust us to the care of Jesus Christ. When I give a gift to my beautiful wife, Laura, there are multiple things running through my head. Will she actually like it? That's based on previous gifts that have not gone well. Will she enjoy it? Is it something she wanted or needed? Will I get in trouble for how much I spent? She's a little cheap. Pardon me. She, prefer, she, <laughs> pardon me. she prefers the term frugal, so we'll, we'll leave it there. But all of these thoughts are running through my head concerning the gift and concerning who I am giving it to. But it's not so with our God. He knows the gift is perfect for whom he's giving it to. There's no doubt, no second guessing, no questioning. Everyone the Father gives will come. And as we meditate on this passage further, we uncover something that each of us knows to be true. A prized gift is only given to someone who is deeply loved and deeply cared for. We might give nice jewelry to a spouse, even a family heirloom that's been passed down through the generations to a son or a daughter, even a Bible to a close friend. In any situation, the one receiving the gift is always deemed worthy to possess the gift. Remember that. The one who receives the gift is always deemed worthy to possess the gift. Now, who does the Father give us to? I've been saying it. In his infinite love and care for us, who does he entrust us to? His Son. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who laid down his life for you, the Pursuing Shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one who went after you, the Protective Shepherd who watches over us and defends us and guards us, and he guards you. We, as a prized possession, are given to someone who is infinitely worthy to care for us, and he does. But how do we know that? Well, Jesus tells us in the end of the verse, point number three, he will never cast us out. What is the proof of his care for us? I will never cast you out. Those whom the Father gives to Jesus will never be cast out. We are his. Jesus says in chapter 10 that no one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can take us. And then he says he will never throw us out. Isn't that refreshing to hear? encouraging to hear. In a world that is so prone to using things up and using people up and then casting them aside, Jesus says that he will never do that. His word is binding. He can only speak what is true. We are his. And to use the biblical imagery, we have been given, we've been purchased, redeemed, bought, and saved. What's funny about this verse is that if we actually literally translated it word for word from the Greek into the English, it would say, I will not not cast you out. It would be a double negative. It's a Greek emphatic. He's saying it won't happen. It's never going to happen. There's no way. We belong to him now. But isn't there always something in the back of our minds that questions this about Jesus? Will he really never cast me out? It's this sin that we still struggle with. While sin as a Christian no longer reigns in our life, it does remain in our lives. And so we need to be reminded of Christ's care and his love for us. We need to remember the assurances and promises 
that he gives to us. He tells us, frankly, directly, I will never cast you out. And the reason Jesus had to say this truth because he knew that his disciples both then and 2,000 years later would struggle with this reality. They would struggle with the sin that remains that would doubt the promise that he is saying here. Even when you proclaim the gospel to unbelievers, what do they say? Well, if you only known what I have done, there's no way Jesus could forgive me. I'm way too much of a sinner. But Jesus says directly in John chapter 6, verse 37, that those that come to him, he will never cast out. So we don't come to just a set of doctrines. We don't come to just a church. We don't come to just the gospel. All of those are vital and essential. But ultimately, at the heart of this passage, at the heart of the scriptures, we come to a person. We come to Jesus Christ himself. And when, he, and when we come, he says that we will never be cast out. All objections are suddenly lost. They are cut. There is nothing more that we could say. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is the second best-selling book of all time besides the Bible, also wrote an entire book on this one verse. That was common for the Puritans to do. It's an amazing thing. But in it, he illustrates this very truth. He says, of this, of this lasting part, I will never cast you out. He says, here it is the sum of all promises, neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness you find in yourself. But I'm a great sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all of my days, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I've sinned against the light, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I have no good thing within me to bring, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I feel that I'm failing as a father, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. But I feel that I don't measure up as a mother, you say. I will never cast you out, says Christ. Bunyan concludes, this promise was provided to answer all objections. I will in no way never cast you out. So we need to be reminded of this truth this morning because we are prone, even as God's people, to still make excuses as to why God is upset with us or mad at us or doesn't love us. He doesn't care for us. He doesn't hear our prayers or can't provide for us. He can't relate with us. But this single promise remains. I will never cast you out. If any of those things were true, he would cast us out. If he couldn't relate with us, if he was upset with us, if he was mad at us, if he didn't care for us, if he didn't hear our prayers, then he would cast us out. But the promise says, I will never cast you out. But then in our hearts, we argue. No, wait, we say, as we cautiously come to Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up bad in all different ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, and there's a lot more than what others can see. But deep down inside of me, there's a perversity. There's a darkness. It's hidden from everyone. I have some really bad thoughts. I know it all, he says. 
Well, the thing is, it isn't just what I did in the past. I also struggle with things today in the present. I'm not perfect. I understand, he says. I'm not asking you to be. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. I'm struggling each and every day. Well, that's the kind of person I came to help. The burden is heavy, Jesus, and it's heavier all the time. I feel so alone. Then let me carry it, he says. I'll walk with you. It's too much to bear, though. Not for me. You don't get it, Jesus. My offenses aren't directed towards others. Ultimately, they're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them, he says. But the more you get to know me, the more of this ugliness you discover in me, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For those of you who are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, what is your excuse for not coming? What is the objection that rises to your mind? What is your reasoning? He is immensely more gracious than you could ever think or that even I can communicate. His very heart is for you. His very heart is for sinners. The Christians here would tell you that themselves. You've suffered betrayal and rejection. You've carried the weight of your sin for far too long. But we serve a Savior who promises to never betray us, to never reject us, and to never cast us out. In fact, we read in the scriptures that he was betrayed and rejected by men. He took our sins and carried them to the cross, and now he offers you a new life this morning. So would you come? Would you confess your sins? Would you turn from them and believe that Jesus is enough? That's the good news that we have believed. You don't have to be perfect because he is. You don't have to be anything or do anything, but come to him in faith. So would you believe this morning? And for the saints here, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, remind yourself often of God's love and care for you, especially during these times, especially during them, that you are known and counted amongst God's family, that you are a part of that everyone, a part of that all that you are a precious gift that has been given from the Father to the Son, and He promises to never cast you out. So during trying times, don't revert back to just good works trying to earn the favor of Christ. Our own resolve is not part of the formula in retaining Christ's goodwill towards us. His goodwill is already toward you. We don't earn it. Last week, my family and I were able to go to the lake for a few days, and my little girl Blakely always wants to hold daddy's hand as we walk into the water together. And eventually, you guys know how it is, it starts to get deeper, and there are some boats out on the lake, so the tide gets a little heavier and heavier. She holds on tight during those moments, but the grip of a three-year-old is only so strong. Eventually, it's daddy holding on to her. Left to her own strength, she would certainly slip out of my hand. But if I have determined that she will not fall out of my grasp, then she is secure. There is no way I would lose her. So it is with Jesus. We cling to him for sure. We have a responsibility to come, but our grip is that of a three-year-old during the storms of life. His sure grasp never falters. So cling to him as he holds on to you firmly. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this morning. 
I thank you that we come together as your people to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father, for this statement by Jesus that we could look at and meditate upon. I pray that we would be encouraged that we are a part of your people, that we are a part of the everyone. And for those who are here and they are not, I pray that they would become. I pray that they would turn to you, Christ. I pray that they would believe in you. Father, we thank you that you have gifted us to the Son, that you give us to your Son, and he cares for us so much more than we could ever think or imagine. And we praise you for that truth. And thankfully, for those of us who are tired, for those of us who are weary, we can rest on the promise that you will never cast us out. What a balm to the soul that that is. Pray now, God, that we would worship you as our risen Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.